Okay, let's prepare ourselves this morning in our usual fashion. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer. During that time, we have the opportunity to name privately to God the Father any unconfessed sins which ensures the filling of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the time you've given us to assemble ourselves together. We recognize that we live in desperate times. We also recognize that you are the solution, that you control history. That we have nothing to fear but have every reason to be optimistic with regards to the future because you have revealed in your word the great and mighty things that you plan to do and you have graciously included us in it. In the meantime, we live on planet Earth, and we need your guidance, we need your power and your strength, and you are ever-present. We thank you for your word that lives and abides forever. We pray that you will help us to concentrate on it this morning, for we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We're in Romans chapter 13, verse 4, and there's quite a bit to say about that particular passage because it says that it, referring to the rulers or government, is a minister of God for good. As we're going to see, that is a tremendous limitation that God has put on civil authority. In fact, in that passage, twice it says that God is a minister. Now, minister comes from the Greek word diakonos, and it means a servant. So God has delegated to certain uh, people authority that is limited to do good. We're going to continue. I'm not going to go into all of the normal preview we have. This is our seventh lesson. And by now, you should recognize that we are not political. We're not talking about politics. We're not talking about <coughs> revolution. What we're talking about is what the biblical view of a Christian and government is. It has to do with rightly dividing the word of truth. It's very difficult to be an independent thinker these days because you have talking heads on the news that have a script that has been given to them. It's already gone through the proper filters. The information that you get is purposely used to control your thinking. And to be an independent thinker means you have to go outside of the regular, what we would call mainstream 6 o'clock news or 5.30 news and do a little reading, do a little research. And it's amazing what you will find. And not only do we have to do, are we to go to those sources, whether it's the Internet, whether it's books or magazines, whatever it may be, most of all, most importantly, we have the Bible. And that is always our guide. And we're seeing what it, ha what it has to do with our relationship with civil authority. So I'm going to pick up today in the notes. <coughs> I'll show them up here. 
Did I have them already? Was I showing them? Oh, okay. That red line there is just to show me where I'm going to continue from last time. So we're going to get right into it because we have much to cover. When governing authorities ignore this limitation, the limitation of being a servant for good, remember last time we went into what is good? Good is treating your neighbor or others the way you would have them treat you. And it is also doing whatever you say you're going to do. It's not really that complicated. When you treat others the way that you would have them treat you, you don't invade their privacy. You don't in any way uh, take away their property. Uh, you, you just, it, it's very simple. And as long as you are doing good, then the Bible says that we are to um, praise, or the, the government is to praise those who do good. And those who uh, do evil, well, then the government has the authority delegated by God to punish those who do evil. The government never, never, never has the authority to punish those who do good, only those who do evil. Now, again, when governing authorities ignore this limitation and cross over the line of righteousness into evil, they become criminals and forfeit any of their delegated authority from God. This is what we've been looking into. God does not authorize wrath or evil against those who do good. So if you're minding your own business and you are doing what you say you do, that is entering, if you enter in a contract with someone or a promise, whatever it may be, then you are to fulfill that responsibility. So it follows then, if rulers lose their delegated authority from God when they do evil, we are not required to submit to them because they no longer have legitimate authority. Now, I know that this sounds somewhat extreme for some because the mentality for so long has been that, well, it's the law. Regardless of what the law is, we are to obey it. And we've already seen in the three viewpoints, the second viewpoint is that government is limited in matters of faith. And we've given you doctrinal evidence that God has blessed those who do not submit to laws, statutes, whatever they may be, that are contrary to God's law. And that has been accepted. Now we're looking at, do we also have the right to not submit to laws that have to do with freedom and justice as well? That's what we're looking into at the, at the moment. Since all authority comes from God, it should be that all valid governments be based on God's laws. When, gov when officers or judges in authority do not exercise that authority for its designed purpose, the obligation to them would consequently cease to exist. This was the basis of the American Revolution in 1776. Uh, this was from the Handbook on Biblical Law by Charles A. Weissman. There's so many. I have a lot of quotes today, and I'm going to try to go slow enough to where we can absorb these because we're talking about some deep thinking, and that is goes against the grain today. Most churches, you go there, and it's uh, well. I, I don't whether for right or wrong, I call them nod to God churches. They go there to get an emotional high. 
and they leave feeling really, really high. However, when it comes to being able to discern what the Christian way of life is and the spiritual dynamics of the church age and so forth, they are a, at a loss. So we're talking about deep matters here and re requires you to really concentrate. So I'm going to try to slow down and when I go over these quotes, uh, go over them thoroughly enough and slow enough to where this will all sink in. So this principle can be seen in the structure of the United States of America. The Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, and the Bill of Rights represent the highest authority in the land because they declare the rights given to us by God. At least the Bill of Rights does and the Declaration of Independence. The Constitution, for the most part, is just a diagram of how the government is to run. However, since the Bill of Rights was added as amendments to the Constitution, many times when we talk about the Constitution, we're actually not talking about the uh, articles in the body of the Constitution itself. Many times we're referring to the Bill of Rights. And I've already gone into the information that it was unfortunate that they were brought in as amendments to the Constitution. They should have been a preface to the Constitution because they are superior to the Constitution. It is the Bill of Rights that limits the government. You have the first article that says, Congress shall make no law of establishing religion or abridging the free exercise thereof. And then it goes on. Everything about it is curtailing the authority of those in government which would be superior to the Constitution. Uh, see, the problem is those articles, which are called the first ten amendments, the Bill of Rights, are really outlying some of the God-given unalienable rights. And that means no one can take them away. You can't give them away. They can't be disparaged in any way because they come from God. We've already gone over that. So <clears throat> every government official takes an oath to honor, uphold, and defend the Constitution of the United States of America. Now here's another quote from Republic Magazine. Uh, it says, All political power is inherent in the people and that any government that becomes destructive of these rights has forfeited its authority. Consider this section a restatement of the truths outlined in the Declaration of Independence. So the way that our government is farmed, up, uh, farmed is that it's the people have all political power. And, of course, originally the people have turned, they turned over to the federal government a very specified, limited amount of space or authority or things that the government was to do. And outside of that, they have zero authority to carry it out. And according to the Declaration of Independence, if indeed any government gets outside of those bound, bounds, then the people have the, not only the right but the duty to set aside that government and start a new one if it so desires. I'm paraphrasing, but that is essentially what the Declaration of Independence says. So when any government official steps outside the boundaries set 
by those documents, he becomes a criminal that is to be dishonored rather than honored and should be punished rather than obeyed. Here's a few verses. Proverbs 16:12. It is an abomination for kings to commit wickedness, for the throne is established on righteousness. It's established on righteousness because God has given delegated authority to servants who administer his will in governments or whether the king or whatever it may be. Proverbs 17, 16, uh, 15. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. He justifies the wicked and condemns the righteous. Do you see how that ties in to what we're studying in Romans 13, verse 4? That God has given government, rulers, kings, whoever they are, the uh, delegated authority to be his servant for good. And they are to praise the good. But if there is evil, then they are to punish the evil. But when a government gets out of control, what you have is just the opposite. You have them punishing the good, and have them praising the evil. Judges chapter 9, verse 1 through 57. Government officers who commit conspiracy, treachery, or murder were put to death. Now, there's a lot. That's 57 verses there, but that's the, the gist of it. The problem today is that people have become so diluted as to think that a person who resists an evil, unconstitutional law is wrong and that government is justified in bringing wrath upon him. I want you to think about that just a moment. I'm going to read it again. The problem today is that people have become so diluted as to think that a person who resists an evil, unconstitutional law is wrong and that government is justified in bringing wrath upon him. We're going to see a lot of quotes that have to do with that particular issue. This mindset has developed over a long period of time as people acquiesce to the ever-growing encroachments of a government that seems to know no limits. Here is a quote by Lord Chesterfield. He said, Arbitrary power must be introduced by slow degrees and as it were, step by step, lest the people should see it approach. Most of you have heard the metaphor or the analogy of the frog being in the pot of water. Uh, if you took a frog and you put him in boiling water, what is he going to do? He's going to jump out. But if you put him in water and turn on the heat and incrementally in raise that heat, he gets a little more comfortable, a little more comfortable before you know it. He's cooked. Well, folks, we're very close to being cooked. And we have to recognize what we are to think and what we are to do, biblically speaking. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to, uh, anybody that wants these, if you have an uh, uh, email, I'll send it to you. Just let me know. Um, all these all these notes can be sent to you if you just give me your email. And if you don't have a computer, then we'll give you copy 
copy of the notes, whatever. I can tell you I'm going to have some quotes that are too long for you to, to write down, even if you took shorthand. They're getting writer's cramp. Okay. Uh, the idea of limiting civil authority is nothing new. The men who founded our country were very intent on living according to the dictates of the Bible, and they certainly believe God has given only limited authority to civil government. This is a quote from Thomas Jefferson. Whensoever the general government assumes undesignated power, it acts, its acts are unauthoritative, void, and of no force. Wow. Do you think this guy knew what he was talking about? This is the guy that wrote the Declaration of Independence. He wasn't in the country when the Constitution was written, but I think, and he also was the president. Here's a quote from John Idesmo, Christian and the Constitution, excuse me, Christianity and the Constitution. He says, The source most often cited by the founding fathers was the Bible which accounted for 34% of all citations. Over a third of all the citations that were quoted by the founding fathers was from the Bible. So to try to divorce what they came up with from the Bible with regards to um, the setting up of this country, in other words, to say that it didn't have anything to do with Christianity, you have a hard time making a case when over a third of the citations came from the Bible. America was founded on the common law model that assumes that there is higher law than any government's law. But over the decades, this model has been gradually subverted and replaced by Roman law. Justice is whatever lawmakers say it is. Sound familiar? That came from ancient Rome and how it affects you today by Richard Mulberry. Puritans were not content to let abject submission totally define their relationship with authority. Now, we're talking about Puritans. Were the Puritans group, would you say that they were a religious group? I believe so. There's a term called Puritanism. Now, the Puritans, uh, I believe, were a bit on the legalistic side, but they certainly were not liberal or immoral. And this is a quote from Richard L. Bushman from Puritans to Yankee, Character and the Social Order to Connecticut. This was from written, uh, uh, Richard Bushman was 1690 to 1765. And this is the quote. Even more than persons living in a permissive society, they felt the need to raise defenses against the fathers who constantly threatened judgment and rebuke. The inward impulse was expressed in Puritan political philosophy as the doctrine of rights and the rule of law. Even conservatives asserted that God has not subjected the lives and liberties of the ruled to the arbitrary will and pleasures of rulers. Read that again. Even conservatives, conservatives asserted that 
God has not subjected the lives and liberty of the ruled to the arbitrary will and pleasure of rulers. That is at the heart of what we're looking at is does God and the Bible subject us because we are Christians to arbitrary will of those who rule over us even if it is evil, even if it is not acting as servants of good. Continuing. He gave laws to their authority so that they were not at liberty to pursue and accomplish their own desire. The law defined the line beyond which rulers became tyrants and resistance became a duty. Now, here it says Calvinists, and uh, this isn't necessarily thinking of Calvinists the way we do today when we're talking about Calvinism and the tenets and the theology of Calvinism. This was just a group of believers. Sometimes it's used in that, in that sense as here. Calvinists not only believe civil government is ordained and established by God, they also believe that God has given civil, civil government only limited authority. The same power that grants authority to government also limits that authority. So if someone asks you, okay, where in the Bible do you find that God has limited the authority of civil government? Well, how about Romans chapter 13, verse 4, the verse that we're looking at? That God has delegated that authority. Uh, oh, if you don't have your Bibles open, open your Bible there, and let's read it for ourselves. I'm not happy unless I hear pages rattling. That is, <laughs> the Bible's pages rattling. Romans chapter 13 and verse 4. Some people read right through this and they miss this limitation. It is a huge limitation. For it, referring to government, a king, a ruler, whoever it may be, is a minister, diakonos, meaning a servant of God to you for good. Now, if you want to mark that somehow and let you, so that you'll remember, that is a definite limitation that God has put on governing authorities. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. Let's look at that for just a second. If you do what is evil, be afraid. If you do something that is outside the parameters of being good, and what did we say being good is? Treat others the way you would have them treat you and do what you say you're going to do. When you get outside of that boundary and you start encroaching upon someone else's freedom or their property or whatever it is, should you be afraid of government? Absolutely. Because God has delegated to them not only the right but the duty to punish those evildoers. However, what we have today, people fear the government rather than the government fearing the people. You see, when people fear the government, you have tyranny. When you have the government fearing the people, you have freedom. And I know people who, uh, I'll just give you one illustration. The Second Amendment does, I might shock some of you. The Second Amendment does not give us the right to keep and, uh, keep and bear arms. It doesn't give us that right. 
It acknowledges the right that we already have. It comes from God. The rights gives us no rights. What it does is recognize and delineate some of the God-given rights that we already have. So, there are people who, when you travel these days, it's dangerous to, to travel. It always has been. And even though we have cell phones and even though we have cars that rarely break down and they have tires that don't go flat and all the rest of it, you never know when you're going to be stopped on the side of the road and you're going to be at the mercy of whoever wants to stop by. Hopefully it will be a Christian or someone that is there to help you and do good, but it may be one of these people that are bent on doing evil. And so a lot of people struggle with the idea, should I carry a weapon or not to uh, defend myself? And this should not be a struggle, but a lot of people do. And I don't know what percent, probably most of them don't carry a weapon. And they don't carry a weapon because they are more afraid of what will happen to them if they are stopped and some government official is going to find them or imprison them or whatever it is for having that weapon. They're more afraid of that than they are the criminals. Now, I submit to you, situation like that, everything is upside down because certainly it's not what the founders envisioned. They had everything set so that the government would continue to fear the people and be the servants of not only God, but also the people. Because remember, all political power resides in who? The people. Rutherford in particular emphasized government. The people acting under the will of God had given the civil government only limited authority and they had given it conditionally. They reserved the right to terminate their covenant with the ruler if the ruler violated the covenant term. Consequently, the ruler is acting without legitimate authority if he violates the laws of God and nature by suppressing the basic liberties of the people. In such instances, he is not to be obeyed. In fact, he is to be resisted. It is the Christian's duty to resist by force if necessary. Wow. Who is this Rutherford? We're talking about Samuel Rutherford, who in 1644 wrote a book called Lex Rex. How many of you ever heard of that book or read that book? One? <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, well, it's not surprising, and I'm not, I'm not trying to despair anyone here, believe me. But that is very important. In fact, I have a PowerPoint to show you something about this Lex Rex. I think I'll bring that up now. Okay. We'll start here. Lex, L-E-X, means law. It's Latin for law. Rex is Latin for king. Lex, Rex. 
L-E-X-R-E-X. The question is, is the king, that would be Rex, or the government, the law? It has been throughout history, for the most part, it was called at one time the divine right of kings. And the king claimed that he was was directed by God to make laws. And essentially what it was, uh, most of the kings weren't even believers. They, they, hadn't, they didn't care anything about that. What they cared about was asserting their authority and their tyranny over the people. So just remember this. The question is, is the king, Rex, referring here to the government, the law, or is the law, which is Lex, being unable rights, a bill of rights, the king? Look at that. Think about it for a moment. Very impart important. Is the king, Rex, the law, or is the law, Bill of Rights and so forth, the king? You can't have it both ways. It's either one or the other. Do we have a Lex Rex society? What do you notice about this? Look at that carefully. Where is Lex? It's over Rex. Got that? I can just hear it right now. Six months from now, people are going to say, well, we got a new dog. Two new dogs. What's their name? Lex and Rex. <laughs> I know it's coming. Well, you see that? Is that important that Lex is over Rex? The law is over the king or the government or whatever. Or do we have a Rex... Lex society. And I'm not telling you what we have. I'm just saying this is nothing new. 1644, Samuel Rutherford wrote this book. I have it at home, Lex Rex. And this issue was paramount. What do you think the Rex did to old Samuel? Huh? Well, they were going to try him and execute him, but unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, he died before they were able to carry through on it. You see, when Rex is over Lex, Rex is not too happy about changing positions with Lex. Y'all got that? This was old Samuel Rutherford. Let me get back to our other thing now. Lex Rex is a book by Samuel Rutherford published in 1644 on limited government and constitutionalism. The Latin title can be translated, Law is King, and the book's contents opposed the doctrine of Rex Lex, where the king himself is the law. Rutherford's refutation of Rex Lex was based on Deuteronomy 17. And it supported the rule of law rather than the rule of men. It laid out the foundation for later political philosophers such as Thomas Hobbes and John Locke and thus for modern political systems such as that of the United States. After the English Restoration, the authorities burned Lex Rex. You can imagine why. 
and cited the author for a high treason which his death prevent, prevented from taking effect. In other words, that came from, by the way, Wikipedia, that portion about Lex Rex. You all know Wikipedia? I don't know how. I think it was by natural causes. It was before they were able to get to him. God spared him. Uh, this is from Republic Magazine, page 16. Powers come from the barrel of a gun. Authority comes from being congruent, meaning lining up with natural higher law. And I put in there that would be from God. The federal government is all power and no authority. The constitutional, excuse me, the Continental Congress of 2009 is all authority and no power. You're asking me, well, what is that? I'll tell you in a moment. America is faced with a situation that has occurred repeatedly throughout history. The Continental Congress must now follow in the daring and noble tradition of the brave remnant who have carried the seeds of liberty through the flames of many a crumbling empire to plant them in the ash, the fertile soil of tyranny fallen. Now is the time that we must and we will secure a rebirth of liberty and law. How many of you have heard the, about the Continental Congress of 2009? One? Well, the mainstream media is doing a good job, aren't they? Uh, this is, uh, I'm going to show you what this is in a moment, but it is a group of people Delegates from each state, there were 48 states, that got together. Well, instead of just telling you, I'll show you. Let me put on the board the next flash here. This cursor disappears when you try to put it on the spot. Okay, here's where we're going. This is a little information. It occurred November the 11th through the 21st, 2009. For the free people of the United States of America, from the citizen, citizen delegates representing each of 48 states who convened for 11 days at Pheasant Run in St. Charles, Illinois, to deliberate, debate, and decide a plan to restore constitutional governance in the United States of America. They did what was done when the original Constitution was, was drafted. Actually, that started out to be a revision of the Articles of Confederation when they met in Philadelphia. But the states chose delegates to go to this convention and they wound up with a constitution. And in November the 11th, there were delegates, from delegates that were chosen for 48 states and they went and they came to this place in Illinois and they debated for um, from the 11th to the 21st of November and they came out with what is known as the Articles of Freedom. 
And if you have any any questions about this, you can just go to um, the, their website, which is www. Uh, well, let me just put it in your search engine, and all you have to put is the Articles of Freedom, and it'll give you the information. This is what they affirmed. In other words, what they what they did. They saw that our freedoms are being erased at a, a very alarming pace, and they were trying to see what what could be done about it. And so they met together, met, met, and they had it was like a Congress meeting, and they came up with a resolution, just like uh, there there was a resolution or a declaration of independence. This is a declaration of freedom. And this is not the only organization that has come together to try to, to gain freedom. There's people in various places that are taking the initiative and exerting the uh, time and effort to gain freedom. This isn't even the only one that has formed a Congress. And before people start to disparage th this or any other, and by the way, I'm not advocating this and I'm not repudiating this. I'm just giving it to you because you won't find it anywhere else because the powers that be are going to bury it. And the normal idea when you hear something that you haven't heard about before and you've already been propagandized that anything is, that isn't in the mainstream news is conspiracy, you tend to foo-foo it. And what I want you to be is independent thinkers. Don't be afraid to look at things and evaluate them for yourself. Run them through your grid of righteousness and justice and through the grid of what we're learning in Romans 13, what it says and what it doesn't say, so that you will not be a puppet. That's the idea. I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to, I'm not trying to affirm this are repudiated, I just want you to see that there are people out there that recognize that we are in big-time trouble, and they are doing things. You, you've heard of the, the, the Tea Party, nullification. There's all kinds of things happening. And I'm not advocating any of them or repudiating any of them. I just want you to have an attitude of being an independent thinker and recognize what your God-given rights are and how the Bible it does not refrain you from being an independent thinker and making decisions based on your relationship as the Bible lies it out, uh, lays it out with regards to the relationship between you and government. Here's uh, the, the first thing on their uh, Declaration of Rights, uh, of Freedom, excuse me. Sovereignty and the Declaration of Independence. Affirmation, we the people, in order to maintain our independence from any oppressor, to protect our rights as free men and women, to secure the blessings of liberty for our posterity, and to document our resolve, notice resolve is with a capital R, to resist any external or internal force which may seek to curtail those rights, make this affirmation. That sounds like somebody that is a free man speaking, doesn't it? Like an independent person. All sovereignty originates with the Creator. What does that sound like? Romans chapter 13, verse 1 and 2, doesn't it? 
and is gifted to the individual. God has gifted, gifted or given to us all sovereignty. So all sovereignty originates with the Creator and gifted to the individual from where it is delegated to the family, the family to the state, and the state to the nation. Any corruption of this order violates natural law and the God-given rights of the people. Whereas all political power is inherent in the people, whereas the national, excuse me, natural right of persons are unalienable. You know what that word unalienable means? Do you see the word lean in there? When someone puts a lien on your property or a lien on your bank or whatever, it means they are, in, in, they are reducing, they are taking over something. In other words, uh, the natural rights of people are unalienable. They can't be assailed. They can't be taken away. They can't be given away. And any violation of these rights is cause for remuneration and our punishment and one more. Whereas, according to the Declaration of Independence, the purpose of government is to secure these rights. That is the reason for government. Government is not... Uncle Sam is not a big sugar daddy. Let me put, rephrase that. Uncle Sam should not be a sugar daddy. And there, if you want to find where these are, you can go to www.articlesoffreedom.us and see for yourself. Now, I'm, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm giving you these things so that you can think. We need to be thinkers instead of robots that just follow, our, follow the herd. Algernon Sidney, 1622 to 1683, served on the Council of State of the State of Common, uh, Commonwealth under Cromwell's protectorate in 1652. He believed rulers exercise only such power as people have given them, and when rulers go beyond that and usurp additional power, the people have the right to resist. This is from John, John Idesmo, Christian Christianity and the Constitution. John Milton in 1608-1674 was a political as well as a religious figure an expert swordsman as well as a theologian. Milton defended the right to resist illegitimate usurpation of authority. That came from the Encyclopedia Britannica. When that goes blue, by the way, I have a program that just sometimes decides, let's go blank. You have one like that? <laughs> I think we all do. Then we have I believe 15 basic principles which underline the thinking of the founding fathers which are either derived from or at least compatible with Christianity and the Bible. A belief that governments have only such power as are delegated to them by the people in said covenants are compacts and that when governments attempt to usurp powers not so delegated, they become illegitimate and are to be resisted. And that came from John Idesmo Christianity and the Constitution. This came from Thomas Aquinas. An unjust law 
is no law at all, and there is a duty, an obligation not to obey it. I am not, by giving you this information, in any way suggesting revolution. Far from it. In fact, if you get into revolution, if you get into some attacks on the government, then you are outside the framework of the Bible because the Bible never authorizes or even condones revolution. What we're seeing here is that, and it's, it's exceedingly hard for me or any pastor to go through these things and explain this because we have been from as children, even as children, we've been reared in schools that have taught us things that does not line up with what I'm teaching here. How many times have I told you that things are not as they appear? Remember that? And I went through 12 years of of elementary school. That's not... Uh, <laughs> Grades 1 through 12, let me put it that way. I will admit this, though. My dad thought he was going to have to burn down the school to get me out of elementary school. But my learning really did not start, and I went to college, but my learning really did not start until I got out of school. And I can't get enough information now. And what I'm finding, to my shock and to my chagrin, is that most of what I learned just simply ain't so. And it's hard to come to that conclusion. I mean, and some, uh, many people will not come to that conclusion. They won't do it. But when you start to read for yourself and you start to dig and you start to find, I'm just giving you a few of hundreds of quotes of men of renown back in the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s and so forth that we're already facing this same issue that we face today. Now, some people may think, well, we really don't have an issue. And I think that someone of that mindset needs to turn off the TV and start doing a little reading. The problem, people think that we are, there's no problem we're still free today because they still are, can go home and they can sit in their lounge chair, uh, uh, they have their remote and they have their beer. And from time to time, they can go out and eat and do a few things like that. Folks, that is not freedom. And yet, as time goes by, we have less and less and less and less freedom. And instead of talking about football games and who is the latest American Idol are about the Republican Party or the Democratic Party, why don't we talk about things that are really important? Like what are our fundamental rights? What's happened to our country and what can we do about it? And what does the Bible have to say about this? We're just not, we're not talking about the right things because we're not thinking properly. And more than anything else through this, this whole series that I'm doing, is an effort, not only for you, but for myself as well, to not be afraid of the truth and to see things as they really are and to think as an independent child of God 
and not just follow the herd. And that is not revolution. That is exercising the God-given rights that you possess. And unfortunately today we live in a society where when you start saying some of the things that these quotes say, people are shocked. But God has, has not and never will force us to submit to evil. He doesn't do that. We have a loving God. And he has given us God-given rights. And it's up to you to make the determination whether you see what I'm teaching in Romans chapter 13. It lines up with the fact that when you become a believer, you don't lose all your rights. You still have those rights. And what you do about them is up to you. At least we, I want you to be thinking properly about this, at least biblically speaking. At this time, I'd like everyone please to bow your heads and close your eyes. This last portion of this service is dedicated to those who don't have a relationship with the God of the universe. That would be the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, before you can start thinking properly with regards to your relationship to government, you have to have the proper relationship with Jesus Christ. All people are not children of God. All people are given life by God, but only those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior are God's children. And Jesus Christ went to the cross for every person. He died spiritually so that you might live spiritually. He was buried and rose from the grave and now offers eternal life to anyone who will trust him and him alone for it. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In a moment of time, you can trust God, trust your eternal future and destiny to God by believing in Jesus Christ. You don't have to walk an aisle. You don't have to raise your hand. It's between privately a matter between you and God the Father. In the moment that you believe in Jesus Christ, you are born again and have a relationship forevermore with the God of the universe. Now, Father, we thank you for the time we have to focus on these things. We realize that there are dark, looming clouds on the horizon. We recognize that there are going to be desperate times ahead. And we need to be able to think clearly, independently, under your word to recognize what we should and should not do. So we pray that you will continue to teach us and guide us in all these matters. For we pray it in Christ's most high and holy name. Amen.